decay, it's going to fall apart. But the person who does the will of God, they live forever. May God bless the reading of his word. One day, a man, he was an avid hunter, loved being in the woods. He bought a new hunting dog. And he wanted to train this dog, and so he spent the first year of its life really training it, really hitting it hard. He wanted to make sure this dog could get on the trail and track whatever it is that he wanted this dog to track. And so he spent the entire first year of this dog's life training him. And then year two came, and he spent the next six months really making sure this dog was ready, and he was putting all the money, putting all the effort, taking him all the training classes, really getting him out there and, and working with him. And then finally one day, the owner said... <clears throat> It's time. It's time to get my new dog out into the woods. And so the man says, I'm going to make sure that he really knows what he's doing. I'm going to get him tracking big game. And so he's out there hunting grizzly bear. And the guy says, I want this dog to track me down a grizzly bear. And so he sets the dog out, and he's, he holds the, the scent up to the dog's nose, and that dog takes off, and that dog's running. And that dog's howling, and the, runners, I mean, and, and, and the, and the hunter's right behind him running. And that dog is on that trail, and that dog is scooting, and the hunter's right behind him. But all of a sudden, immediately, the dog stops, and the hunter gets right up on him, and he's like, okay, he's on him. He's got this. But then the dog shoots in another direction. He says, man, okay, the bear must have turned. So the dog's taken off running, and the hunter's right behind him. And all of a sudden, the hunter realizes that dog's not chasing that bear anymore. A dog's chasing the deer now. Apparently a deer had crossed that bear's path, and so now the dog is on the deer. And so they keep running. He's, okay, whatever, we'll track a deer. And then all of a sudden the dog stops again. The hunter gets up to him. All right, what you got now? And the dog takes off this direction, and the dog takes off running. And the hunter's like, oh, well, I guess we're going this way now, only to find out the dog is now chasing a rabbit. A rabbit had crossed the deer's path, and so the dog is now chasing this rabbit. And the hunter's trying to get him to stop. Hey, you're off on the wrong trail, and the, and the dog is just going. And the, the hunter's trying to run and catch up with him, and on and on and on. The dog's going this trail, that trail, this trail, that trail, and just constantly going on the wrong trail until finally the dog starts barking triumphantly as if he has found what he has been tracking. And the hunter, who is out of breath, exhausted, gets up to the dog, but what did you find? And the dog looks up at him like dogs do, all perked up and excited, standing over the hole of a field mouse. So this dog started out tracking a bear and ended up finding a field mouse. And though this story makes us laugh, right? That's funny. How could the dog do that? But, you know, we laugh about it. However, Sometimes we're just like that hunting dog, aren't we? Sometimes we behave just like that dog. Where we start off on the right trail, we are excited, we are eager, we're motivated, we're energized, we're empowered. Yes, what a good sermon. I, I went to that revival and I am eager. Yes, I got saved. I'm on fire for Jesus. Hallelujah. And we are ready to go. And we are on the trail. But then, something diverts our attention. And the next thing we know, we're running down another trail. And our pursuit leads to another. 
and then something else catches our attention, and it leads to another, and it leads to another, and it leads to another, until eventually we have swayed so far from our original purpose that we take a seat, we examine ourselves, and we think, I don't even remember what my original purpose was. Sometimes we act just like that hunting dog in our spiritual lives. And today, as we conclude our caution series, I'm excited about it because next week we get to enter into the Easter season. I'm not sure about you, but the Easter season is one of my favorite times of the year. It's when we get to spend the next two Sundays celebrating, the next two weeks celebrating the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And it's, everything seems to be coming back to life. Um, you know, we look around, the flowers are blooming, plants are popping up. And if you're like your preacher, the pollen is in the air, Right. How many of you are like your preacher right now? It's like, just, we need another big storm to sweep through just to knock this pollen down. But we're excited about it, right? We eagerly, through our bloodshot, runny noses, we like, yay, springtime is here. Hallelujah. But Easter time is a wonderful season, right? And we love Easter. We're going to celebrate Easter. So as we enter into the Easter season, what I want us to do is I want us to prepare our hearts. I want us to get ready to celebrate the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. I want us to open our eyes. I want us to prepare our hearts, and I want us to ready our souls for the reality that you and I are nothing without God. Now, I know you guys are great people, smart people, awesome people that do amazing things. However, you and I are, and I say you and I because I'm including myself here too, we are worthless without God. In other words, without God, we're running aimlessly down trails that we don't even know where they lead to. Because God, our Father, He created us. He sustained us. He blesses us. He prepares us. He encourages us. And more importantly, church, He loves us. Scripture says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son Jesus gave us his all, and I am nothing without him, church. Without God, I'm nothing. By a show of hands, how many, would you, how many of you would say, Pastor, I'm nothing without God? How many of you would agree with that statement? Yeah. And that's the right thing to say on a Sunday morning when the preacher asks you. How many of us are nothing without God? Yet, how often, church, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this one, how often, though we agree with that statement that we're nothing without God, that God is everything that we have to have God in our lives, how often, though, do we allow pride to set into our lives? And we begin to boast about my strength, my abilities, and who I am. We agree with the statement that I'm nothing without God and God is everything. Without him, I can't be sustained. We agree with that statement. Yet, yeah, on Monday morning, we wake up and like, man, look what I am. How often do we boast and brag about my accomplishments? How often do I boast about the things that I do? How often do I boast about the things that I have? How often do I boast and belittle others because of who I am? How often, church? And now, what I'm not doing is I'm not trying to hurt or offend anyone by what I'm saying, so please do not be hurt or offended by this. I don't want you to think, well, the pastor says I can't, 
I can't be happy with my things. That's not at all what I'm saying. I think in, in, in a very healthy way, very, listen to me, in a very healthy way, I think we can have a little bit a sense of pride. I do. I believe that in the perspective of doing great work and feeling a sense of satisfaction or completion from it. I believe you can have a li- be proud of what you've done. Or, or, or maybe this. Let me say it this way. Maybe you have worked for years and you have saved and saved and saved. Finally, you've been able to buy those plane tickets for that trip. Or maybe you have worked for years and the day of, of retirement comes. That's exciting, right? You can be happy and excited about that. Please do not misunderstand what I'm saying, okay? There are times in your life that you are allowed to be excited and happy about. Maybe you got that promotion at work. How many of you remember getting a promotion at work? Be excited about it. That's okay. How many of us woke up this week and we randomly had $1,400 in our bank account? How many of us, when we saw that extra money, were like, hey, I'm a little bit excited. Now, that's nothing that we can boast about because we didn't do anything. But anyway, <laughs> I don't know, maybe we can be excited and happy about that. But, we, you know, we have, we have graduates this year. We have seniors who are graduating. That's exciting, right? We're going to celebrate with them, and we're going to expect them to be happy. Maybe you maybe found out some good news. Maybe you graduated, or maybe you got accepted into college. That's exciting. Be excited about that. Be proud of that. It's okay. Maybe you finally saved up and you bought that new car that you've always wanted. You spent months looking at it. Or, or maybe you paid off your car. You paid off your house. That's okay. Be excited about that. There's nothing wrong with being excited about these things. But listen to me. What have we titled this series? Caution. So let me give you a, a bit of caution here. Let me give you a warning. You ready? Be careful. It's okay to be excited. You're, you're allowed to be excited, right? How many of you are paid something off and you're like, man, I need to tell somebody. Yeah, tell somebody. Be excited about that. You know, we remember our wedding day. How many of us hit our brides? Like, no, don't look at her. No, we were excited to show up. Look, what, look who chose to marry me, right? Maybe she's crazy. I don't know, but she chose to marry me. Right? We were, show it off. That's okay. But be careful. Lean to your neighbor and say, be careful. Please listen to me. It's okay to be excited, but I beg you, be careful because pride is a dangerous trail that you don't want to go down. Pride is a very dangerous trail that I beg of you, do not go down. Don't do it. One day you will wake up, you have been following Jesus for years, but then all of a sudden you're going to wake up and realize that you are living outside of a dependency on Christ, and just like that hunting dog, you are looking down a trail that you're following the world and following those you shouldn't. And you're going to be doing things, saying things, and behaving in ways that are not Christ-like. Period. I read this week, and I wanted to share it with you. It said, pride can become a vicious virus lurking quietly in our hearts and will slowly choke out our complete dependency on God. It'll choke out our dependency on God. Another writer said, watch out for smugness, a general feeling that we are somehow better than others. Church, be careful. We can be excited and happy about things, but we've got to do it with extreme caution. We've got to check our pride. Because as soon as we let that enter our lives, we're going to go down a trail that we don't want to go down. But understand this, Christ's sacrifice, it demands our love. 
right? But godly love and our love for God are incompatible with fleshly desires and the lust for things of this world. Our dependency on God is incompatible with the things that the three things that John mentions in verse 13 or verse 16. So go with me back to 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to really focus our attention on verse 16 and the things that John mentions here. And what we have to understand is everything that the world has to offer is described in this verse in one of three ways, okay? So if you have your highlighters, pens, or whatever, um, if you don't mark up your Bible, that's okay. But if you do mark up your Bible, I want you to highlight this verse. I want you to underline this verse. And listen to what he says. He says, take caution. He says, be careful. He says, don't do these things. Number one is the lust of the flesh. Number two is the lust of the eyes. And number three is the pride of life. And we are going to dive into all three of these one by one. He says, watch out for all three of these. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. John, in this letter, he's not thinking about things in themselves, right? Such as money and possessions. Money and possessions, the things that we have, did you know this? You, they are morally neutral. And I know what you're thinking, right? Well, I've always heard it. Money is the root of all evil. No. The love of money is the root of all evil. Do not mistake that, all right? We hear it all the time. Well, Christians shouldn't have money. No, you're wrong. It's the love of money. And John here is not necessarily talking about money or possession. He's not talking about things here. He's talking about your attitude. He's talking about your mindset. He's focusing on the personal attitude towards these things. That's what he's talking about here. He is primarily focusing on the motives and the attitudes of our minds and wills, which, by the way, what goes in our mind takes root in our heart and, check this out, dictates our actions. Did you guys know that? What you put in here is going to take root in here, and it's going to come out here, whether we like it, to, like it or not, right? One day, your sins are going to find you out. You, you can't hide them forever. Goes in here, take roots here, comes out here or here. And so what he's talking about here is he says, our affections are either set on this world or on God. And guess what? You can't love them both. It says it right there, verse 15. You can't love them both, church. He says, which trail are you going to go down? Are you going to follow the trail of God or are you going to follow the trail of your affections, the world, and your pride? And the truth is, it's your choice. And as we look at this, at, at this passage of Scripture, what's interesting, and I find this so intriguing, is the, the biblical illustration that is used here. And it goes back to the account in Genesis chapter 3. So if you have, have your Bibles, go back to Genesis chapter 3. We all know that verse, right? Or that, that, that chapter. It's the fall of man. And he really, he really uh, uh, points back to the fall of Adam and Eve in this. And, then, and these three things that he gives us here, the, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, actually are the three stages in which we see Adam and Eve fall. Did you guys know that? It's, it's amazing to watch the, 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 pro the progression that he uses is in Genesis chapter 3. And we see that with the very questions, the very statements that Satan presents to Adam and Eve. And so in Genesis chapter 3, we see Satan, he asks them three questions. The first is, he says, did God really say that? He said, nah, God, God didn't say that you couldn't eat from any, any tree in the garden. Did God really say that? So right away, he's making them question, did, did, are you going to believe God? Nah, he didn't actually say that. Go, go back to what God said. What did he actually say? So he's making them question it. Secondly, he says, did God really mean it? Nah, surely you won't die. 
He says, he says, come on now, Eve. Come on, Adam. You won't actually die, will you? Just give it a try. Come on. Bet you won't. Come on. Did, did God really say that? Okay, okay. If God actually said that, sure, you're telling, you're telling me God said that. Okay, if you believe that, whatever. But you won't actually die, will you? And then he continues on. He says, but do you have to believe it, though? For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. So he's literally tempting them with all three of these. He's saying, come on now. And each of these questions contains suggestions that God is not to be trusted. He says, you can't actually trust that guy. You can't, you can't trust him. It suggests that God's word cannot be depended upon. It suggests that God may change his mind. One writer said this, he used this word, I love it. Spoil sport. That's what they said. They said Satan is trying to make God into a spoil sport here. Or another word um, that I found funny is he's trying to make God into a party pooper here. All right? That's what he's doing. He's saying, no, no, God's just trying to frustrate you. God is just trying to restrict you. God, God doesn't want you to be on his level. Therefore, he's trying to put you in a straitjacket to where you can't live your best life. How about this? Why don't you ignore what God said and you go live your best life? He's saying, how about this? Better yet, take the straitjacket off and then you're really going to be able to live. He's saying, look, check this out. If you, if you just do what God says not to do, then you're going to be living. Better yet, just ignore God completely. Focus on yourself, and you're going to have the best life imaginable. And what's crazy is that is exactly how the world attracts us today. It's nothing new, guys. John here is giving us the illustration. It goes all the way back to Genesis, and guess what? It's still how the world attracts us today. It's still the same trap it's nothing new. It is, it's a deceptive attraction because if we insist on living independently out of the God who made us, we will find ourselves unable to fulfill the chief role for which we were created, and that is knowing God personally. Because what Satan is trying to do is he's trying to lure you with these scents. He's trying to get you off the trail. He wants to pull you down this other trail where he says, if you come down this trail, then you're going to really be able to live your life. But what we have to remember is that trail only leads to death and destruction. And God is over here saying, no, you've got to stay on my scent. You've got to come over here to me. And they're trying to pull us. We're at the fork in the road, guys. And it's our choice. And we've got to stop listening to the deceit of the enemy. And he's throwing this stuff at us all the time. And let's look at how he does it, because he does it perfectly, guys, right? If, if, if sin and temptations come at you like a big scary monster, what's going to happen? Oh, no, I don't want that. So what does he do? He comes at you all pretty. Hey, come on, check this out. I wish I had somebody prettier up here to do this illustration, but I'll do, I'll do my best, right? So he comes up here and he says, look, check this out. Give this a try. He's not coming at you like a big scary monster. He's going to present it to you in a way that you want it. Go to verse 16, check it out. So the lust of the flesh, uh, what my, I think my translation, the NIV says, the cravings of a sinful man or the cravings of a sinful person. The cravings, and we all have cravings and temptations, right? We do. Anyone in here, anyone listening on live says that I don't have cravings or temptations. Well, you are beyond perfect and none of us can match up to you, all right? So you keep holding on to that lie. 
All right, every single one of us have cravings and temptations. And what we have to remember is the cravings and temptations are not the sin. It's when we act upon that sin, it's when we act upon it, is when we fall. You can be tempted, right? People say, well, Pastor, I've just been so tempted. I, I must be a bad person. Nope, Jesus Christ himself was tempted. Go back to the story when he was fasting in the desert. He was tempted. We are all tempted. We all have cravings. But it's when we act on that craving that turns it into sin. And let me tell you something about these earthly sinful cravings. They are just like drinking salt water. The lust of the flesh is just like drinking salt water. So you're stranded out in the ocean, right? How many of you have ever read a story or seen a movie about somebody stranded out in the ocean? It's a very scary place to be, especially when you have no, nothing covering you. So you are out in the middle of the ocean on a hot summer day, and the sun is beating down on you. And you're out of water. And what's the only thing you're thinking about? Water. I need something to drink. And what's all around you? Something to drink. Right? But what happens when you drink that salt water? Oh, it's satisfying for a second, right? You take, a, you take your cup or thermos or whatever it is, you take a big and you drink it. Oh, finally some fluid. Yes, I'm satisfied for a moment. But what happens shortly thereafter? Oh, you're thirsty again. Yet this time, you're even more thirsty. The cravings hit you even harder because that salt water is going to dehydrate you faster if, you've been, if you wouldn't have drank it. And so what happens? You drink more and you drink more and you drink more because the cravings get worse and worse and worse until finally you're dead. Guess what, guys? Our cravings are just like drinking that salt water. Oh, come on now. When you first try it, satisfying, isn't it? The lust of the flesh, when you first try it, anyone says, no, it's horrible. Well, they're lying to you. I'm going I'm to speak nothing but truth to you guys. You're going to try it. It's satisfying. For a moment, then what happens when you wake up the next morning? Oh, I need that again. And I need it again. And I need it again. And I need it again. Until you are so far down this road that you have no idea how to get back. It's the lust of the flesh. Your body wants it. Adam and Eve fell to it. They ate the fruit, guys. Immediately their eyes were open. They realized, oh no. It's the old saying. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and make you pay more than you want to pay. The lust of the flesh is the same way, guys. So what trail are you going to choose? Secondly is the lust of the eyes. Now John, the author of this, this, this letter here, he lived in the society just like we do, where debauchery and violence, they were often regarded as entertainment. And we, we use debauchery and violence as entertainment in our current culture. Yes, we do. It is horrible. Turn on TV, social media, whatever you want to watch, YouTube, Netflix. Sex, violence, and horrible sins are used as entertainment. We all watch the shows. Every single one of us do. We all watch something we shouldn't have. And when we watch those, we get enticed by them, right? We get intrigued by them, so we watch more and watch more. And the world is characterized by the desire to see things for the sake of sinful pleasure. The greatest and worst example of this is pornography. Plain and simple. Seeing something we shouldn't see. Taking something that God, God created. Now, believe it or not, God created sex. I know pastors aren't supposed to talk about sex anymore, but God created sex for our pleasure. There it is. 
However, confines of marriage between a man and a woman. And the world has taken it and completely distorted it. But yet when we see it, it's intriguing, isn't it? That's why the porn industry is the number one industry in the world right now, guys. Controls everything. Sex sells. We love to see things. Our eyes love to see things. We want to see it. That's why marketing focuses on our eyes. We want to see it. We want it in our eyes. We need it. And that's why pornography is so addictive. We crave those things. And Adam and Eve were tempted to have their eyes open to see these things and gain the wisdom. However, the lust of our eyes will take you down a trail that you don't want to go, guys. Stay away from that stuff. The lust of the eyes, though we want to see it, it'll take you so far down a path that you don't want to go that you're going to wake up one day and realize, how did I get here? It's addictive and it'll kill it. It'll kill you. It'll kill relationships. It'll kill marriages. Telling you, this stuff is not worth it. Stay away from it. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. And lastly, is the pride of life. Listen to me, guys. Check your pride. Plain and simple. We've got to check our pride. The truth is, you and I need to be radical in self-criticism. God gives us things richly. He does. It's okay to have things. There's nothing wrong with it. But we have to realize they are his gifts and we are to use them as good stewards responsible to him for the way that we use our Father's resources. We should never boast about them because they're not from us, they're from God. Everything you have, your strength, your abilities, your capabilities, your possessions, everything comes from God. It's okay to be excited about them. When you get, when you get that new car, when you get that new promotion, when you graduate, share the photos. Why? Because we all want to celebrate with you. That's awesome. Congratulations. However, remember, be careful. Give God all the credit. Give him the credit. Don't boast about it unless you're boasting about God. Look what God blessed me with. Look what I was able to do because God gave me the ability to earn this. I have the money because God gave me the ability to work. He gave me the job opportunities. He gave me the education. The problem is we are so concerned about possessions and status and money and our image. But what we have to remember is these things are forms of pretentiousness of human life apart from God. We are so eager to impress, always trying to one-up. How many of us know someone who's always trying to one-up you? And if you're like, well, pastor, I don't know anyone like that. Well, maybe it's you. (laughs) Right? Everyone loves to one-up, but that's not the way Christians are supposed to live. We're not supposed to live that way. We're supposed to be giving God the credit. Living that way is a characteristic of the world. And the world cannot satisfy its attractions deceive. That's why we have to be careful of where our daily behavior is leading us. Where is your behavior leading you, church? We have to be cautious not to be like that hunting dog. We have to stay on the right trail. Too often when, when, when facing temptations, we ask this. We Christians say it all the time. Well, what's wrong with it? We hear Christians say all the time, well, why can't I do this? What's wrong with it? What's wrong with taking that drink? What's wrong with watching that on the internet? What's wrong with doing this? What's wrong with doing that? All the time we say, what's wrong with it? Better yet, what we should be asking is, what's right with it? How is that honoring God? How is, giving that, how is doing that giving God the glory? What is right with it? What's right with taking the drink? What's right with watching that on the internet? What's right by behaving that way? We're so busy asking the question, what's wrong with it, that we don't even see what's right with it. How is that right? Do you really think Jesus would be doing that? Would he click on that? Would he behave that way? Would he say that thing? 
We're so busy trying to push up against the gray line that we're actually down the trail. We've already crossed the gray line because we're so busy asking what's wrong with it that we forget to stop and ask maybe, is this actually right? Well, it's not as wrong as, right? We, we, we love that. Like, well, it's not as bad as what that person does. I don't care what that person does because we're not talking to them right now. We've got to look at ourselves before we can ever criticize them. We're so busy pointing fingers at other people that we forget our own sins. We say, what's wrong with it? Better yet, what's right with it, church? We've got to check our pride. We've got to, we've got to check our pride. We've got to ask ourselves, am I living for God or am I living for me? Am I living for God or am I living for my own pleasures? Am I living for the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life? How am I living? How am I living, church? Look at verse 17. We're, we're coming to a close, I promise. Look at verse 17 now. Not only do the world's attractions fail to satisfy us, but they can't last. The things of this world, all these desires feed on their own fulfillment, but ultimately none of them will remain. And so we have to take caution. We must be aware of the brittleness of this world. Why live for these things if they cannot last? We all know it, but we don't behave like we know it. The things of this world don't last. Why are we living for them? And so John challenges us to make Christian decisions about the way that we are living today. If we live pridefully for ourselves and for the world, if we live for the world, we cannot love the Father. Listen, if we ally ourselves with this world, if we live for what cannot last, we condemn ourselves to be identified with its decay and ultimate judge, judgment. And church, the choice is ours. This is not something that you can just willy-nilly just magically happen. This is a daily choice that we have to make. What trail am I going to go down? John challenges us to ask, who are we living for? ourselves in the world, or are we living for God? And church, we've got to take caution. Take caution. Be careful how you're living. And so I'm going to wrap this whole series up with three simple statements. And they are this. We must worship and live with a holy and righteous fear of the Lord. Be careful how we're living and lay down our pride and live for God. It's not that complicated, church. Be careful, stay on the right trail, follow after Jesus, because that is where you will find freedom and life. I want to read to you one more time this passage that John wrote. With this new understanding, listen to what he says. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of a sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he does and has comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires, they pass away. But the person who does the will of God lives forever. What trail do you want to go down, church? The trail of death or the trail that's going to have you living forever with God? And the choice is yours. Christian. I just invite you guys take we'll just take a moment to reflect on the song we were singing earlier. I think it ties in really well with what Andrew was saying. And I will build my life upon your 